Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series by the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. My name is Jill Harper, Vice Chair of Communications for the CIA's Research Council. In this episode, we will be discussing a recently published report called The Trends in Canadian Mortality by Pension Level, Evidence from the CPP and QPP. To read the report or any other research published by the CIA, go to the website, cia-ica.ca, navigate to the Research tab at the top, then select Research Projects. As you may be aware, the CIA has collaborated with other actuarial organizations on several research projects. This paper is the result of a larger collaboration between the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries in the UK, the Society of Actuaries, and the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. If you're interested in hearing more about the CIA's collaboration and research initiatives, look for our podcast that is all about collaboration in research. On the call today, we have two guests, Andrew Cairns and Gavin Benjamin. Andrew is one of the authors of this paper. He is a professor at the Harriet Watt University in the United Kingdom and director of the Actuarial Research Center of the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries. Gavin was one of the co-chairs for the CIA's project oversight group for this research project. He is a senior director and actuary in Willis Towers Watson's Toronto Retirement Practice. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here today. Yeah, so am I. Great. Now, I mentioned that this project was the result of a collaboration between the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries, or the IFOA, in the UK, and the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I find this really interesting, given that this is a project about Canadian mortality. So how did this collaboration come about? So this particular collaboration, it forms part of a wider desire for, I would say, national associations to collaborate on a variety of research projects and not just this one. And these are projects that have a, what I would say are a truly international scope. So in this case, we're in the broader sense, we're looking at techniques in mortality modeling. And these are techniques that apply just as much to Canada as many other countries, such as the UK, where my own research team is based. And a key element of any collaboration of this type is really just to ensure that the work has a clear relevance to the collaborating associations and their members, so in this case the members of the CIA as well as the IFOA. And so what we've tried to do here with this particular project is to take the models that we're developing using other data sets but apply those models to Canadian pensioner data. And as a Canadian actuary, what interested me about this project and why I thought it made a lot of sense for this collaboration to take place is the issue of mortality trends is of interest globally. And so when you have topics that are of interest globally, in my mind, it's important to collaborate on a global basis so that the various actuarial organizations, including the CIA, can benefit from best practices and leading edge research in other countries. Yes, I would maybe add to that as well, to Gavin's point, that one of the things that you want to do when we're having these collaborations is to avoid having two or three different groups around the world all really doing the same thing and coming up with the same conclusions, because ultimately we do have a limited resource in terms of the researchers around the world, so we want to make sure that they're all doing uh, complementary things rather than repeating what we're all doing. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And as I mentioned, this is part of a bigger project, so we can look forward to some more collaborative projects coming up soon. Let's talk about this paper in particular. Can you briefly summarize what the paper is all about? What the report is trying to do is it's looking at mortality, but it's taking a focus on the retired 
population in Canada. And what we're really trying to do is deepen our understanding of how mortality varies across socioeconomic groups. And that's really the broader remit of the, the whole of our research program. In the Canadian context that we differentiate in terms of socioeconomic groups, we use the pension level within the CPP and the QPP as a proxy for socioeconomic groups. But in particular, what we're wanting to do is think about how the inherent mortality inequalities, how big are they and how they've varied over time. And then, as I say, this fits into our broader program of research, which is focusing on uh, older age mortality, but again, between different groups. So it's maybe sometimes focusing on pensioner data sets, but other bits of the research that we're doing are looking at younger ages as well. And then within the project, what we're trying to do is to use the data from CPP and QPP to get valuable insights into what these differences are between different groups and how they've varied over time. And so this is with the particular focus on the Canadian population. The second element of the report is then thinking about the modelling part. So the first part of the report is really empirical in terms of what it's doing. But then we want the second part of the report to look at stochastic mortality models and see how they can be used for both forecasting mortality with a focus on these different groups. What were some of your key findings? So there were a number of different things that we found in the report. Some of them were what we started off thinking about, this is what we want to achieve in this particular paper. But there were a few other things that turned up as we went along. The first group of findings, and this is really the ones that we were really had in our mind at the outset, and this was really to allow us to quantify how large the gaps are between different socioeconomic groups within the Canadian population. And so... The data did exactly that, so we were certainly able to find significant variation in mortality by pension level. And of course, that's what we'd expect to see, but of course, that what the data then does is actually really allow us to quantify how big that gap is. So for example, we find that the gap is widest at age 65 in the pensioners data set. So a very big gap between the people who have the highest pensions versus those who have the lowest pensions. And then that gap gradually narrows as you get to the higher ages, so the high 80s. Now, at age 65, for example, if we compare the lowest pension group with the, the highest pension group, the mortality rates are often two to three times the rates in the maximum groups. And that's a really big gap. I've seen it in some other countries' data sets, but it's always really quite shocking in my mind when you see these big differences in just the basic single-age mortality rates. What we also saw, because the data that we had covers quite a large number of years, right from the inception of the Canada Pension Plan and the Quebec Pension Plan, and what we found in the data was that at the younger ages, the inequality gap has been getting a little bit wider over time, although it varies a little bit between whether it's CPP or QPP. It also depends a little bit whether it's males or, or females, but broadly speaking, there's a growing inequality over time. And then what we also did was to move on from just looking at the mortality rates themselves to calculate life expectancies. So for example, life expectancies from age 65, what we found was this gap in mortality rates translates into differences in life expectancy up to about three years and sometimes more. And in terms of the widening gap, just as one example for the QPP males, the period life expectancy from age 65, the gap started off at 2.3 years in 1995, but then that widened to 3.7 years in 2015. So that was part of the work that we were looking for when we started off with the project, but there were some other things that were also interesting that we hadn't anticipated. So, for example, we found that there was 
clear but indirect evidence for what we call our or other people have called it rather, a healthy immigrant effect, and some explanation of what this is exactly. So the key point is that when you look at people who have low pensions, you might have a low pension because you've worked for 40 years, but you've always been on a low income, and so you haven't really accrued a substantial pension with CPP. On the other hand, there are other individuals who have a very low pension simply because they were immigrants into Canada in the perhaps late middle age. So they've maybe only been working in Canada and contributing to the, the CPP just for maybe five or ten years. Now, these are people who, at the time that they migrate to Canada, these are likely to be people who are hardworking but also quite healthy, typically compared to the average for that age group in terms of people who are already resident uh, within Canada. So when we look at the low pension groups within the data, the, the low pension groups, they do have this mixture of low paid, high mortality people on the one hand, but then there's a separate subgroup that are higher paid, lower mortality people who are these recent immigrants. So that was a, an interesting feature of the data that we hadn't anticipated, but we only really saw that and started to think about that because the mortality that we were observing in the lowest pension groups, that it wasn't behaving in the way that we expected, and in particular that the, the mortality in group one in more recent years was not as high as, say, groups two, three, or four. What we also found in the data, and that this is through discussions with the project oversight group, was to also think about the recent slowdown in mortality improvements that have been observed in Canada at the national level. So we were interested to see whether this slowdown was more pronounced at one end of the spectrum than the other. But what we actually found was that, as far as we could tell, that the slowdown wasn't really focused on one end of the spectrum. So it wasn't all focused on the lower pension groups, as might have been thought. Really, we could see some sort of slowdown across all of the different pension groups, from the low pensions right up to the high pensions. But in saying that, I mean, all of this has to be perhaps qualified by the fact that the data that we have uh, for, for some groups is quite noisy. So, and some Sometimes the noise in the data tends to mask whether there's really a change in, in trend or not. And then lastly, an important part of the work that we were doing, and it's really the second part of the paper, this is where we move on from the empirical analysis to look at the stochastic mortality models, and in particular, multi-population models. And this is where we were, our starting point in terms of the collaboration with the CIA was that we were developing these models and we wanted to have good data sets from some different countries to be able to test out these models. So the second part of the paper is taking the CPP and QPP data sets, which are all subdivided by pension amount. We then fit the stochastic mortality models and we had a range of different mortality models to try out. And the data allowed us just to see which of these numerous models is actually best for the Canadian data. An interesting element also of this bit of modeling work is what we found was that we had a very high degree of consistency across the four higher level populations that we were looking at, that being CPP and QPP, and then for each of those males and females separately. So each of these four groups all gave very similar answers in terms of what was the right model and then what were the particular characteristics of those models. So I'm curious how the patterns that you saw in the Canadian experience compare with what you've seen in the UK. 
Yeah, well, that's a great question because we've been spending a lot of time also looking at data for England. Now, the way that the English data is subdivided, it's been constructed in a slightly different way. It's based on deprivation rather than pension amounts. But nevertheless, we're able to subdivide the population in a way that is in some ways consistent. Now, what we found there was that, and you, you might be glad to hear this in, in Canada, that uh, Canada has a slightly narrower gap in terms of inequality, which would be a, a kind of an indication of a greater degree of social fairness, perhaps. And then a sort of second observation is that in England, we also see growing levels of inequality. But I would say with the English data that the inequality has been growing much more fast compared with what we've seen in the CPP and QPP data. And then the third point is that you've seen the slowdown in the Canadian mortality improvements, but we've also seen similar slowdown in England. But I would also say perhaps it's been a more marked slowdown than in Canada, because certainly when I was analyzing the Canadian data, I had in mind what the sort of typical picture for the English mortality and the slowdown. I had to look just a bit more carefully at the Canadian charts to really see something more similar. So that was an indication that the slowdown in Canada was not quite as significant as in England. So some similarities, but also some differences. Interesting. Did you encounter any sort of interesting challenges when you were working on this project? One or two. At the start of the project, we had in mind how the data should look. So the group that had the largest pensions, the maximum pension for CPP and QPP, so that they would have the lowest mortality. And that as you gradually move through the 10% bands, pension bands, down to the lowest pensions that you would gradually have higher mortality. So that was what we were expecting to see in the data. But once we started digging into the data a bit more deeply and plotting the data in lots of different sorts of ways, we could see that the data were not always behaving in the way that we would expect. And so, for example, I mentioned earlier the healthy immigrant effect. So that was an effect which caused the group that had the lowest pensions, so that there was only pensions that are only 10% of the maximum, their mortality was not as bad as some of the other groups with higher pensions. So that was one of the challenges that we experienced along the way. And we had some interesting discussions with the uh, people on the project oversight group in terms of trying to see, well, it, was it a problem with the data or was it actually a genuine feature that just needed a bit more thought? So all of this resulted in a, what I would describe as a, a lot of forensic analysis, which threw up some anomalies, but it was anomalies that were, after a bit of thought, could be properly explained by characteristics of the pension plan and the maturity of the plan, and then these other things like immigration effects. So as, as I say, we had lots of discussions with members of the project oversight group in terms of working these sorts of things out. Yeah, so that was really the major challenges, really just understanding the data when we realized, well, it wasn't quite as uh, neat as we might have anticipated at the outset. Yeah, and I'll maybe say that from a project oversight group perspective, I guess our initial challenge was even more fundamental because when we started this project, it wasn't clear to us that we'd be able to get access to sufficient and robust Canadian mortality experience because in the Canadian environment, it isn't a given that you could necessarily get sufficient amount of robust Canadian mortality experience and felt up front that it was critical to to have access to uh, Canadian experience data in order for the results of the research to be relevant and useful to Canadian actuaries. So at the end of the day, of course, we were able to get access to CPP and QPP experience data and we're very grateful to be able to have access to this data.
Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about the role that the POG played in this particular research project? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So really what, what I would say is that the from my perspective, leading the group of researchers, that uh, I found the interaction with the project oversight group just extremely helpful in a, a number of different ways. First of all, just in terms of helping to formulate the, uh, the particular objectives of the, the research program and focusing what we were putting into the research report. And then perhaps more importantly than that even was to as you just mentioned uh, a few moments ago, helping to source the data from the Canada Pension Plan and also the Quebec Pension Plan. Because certainly in my mind, I had always been thinking, well, that's the ideal data set. And I remember on one or two calls with the POG just talking about that and how great it would be to have some access to that uh, data. And it was through members of your group that we were able to just touch base with the CPP and QPP and discuss what our, our requirements for the data were, and then they were happy to provide that. And of course, the, there were then a few iterations with the people that were preparing the data sets in, in terms of just the specification and things of that sort. So all of that was really key in terms of getting good data that we could then do some good modeling work and, and also the empirical analysis. And so the, the whole of the report was really uh, totally reliant on, on getting that uh, particular data so that that project oversight group was essential there. And then also when we were writing the report, there was a lot of really great feedback that came on the earlier drafts of the report in terms of could you tweak this or could you add up a few more comments or a, an extra section or a particular topic or another thing at the end was a table of period life expectancies just to complement the mortality rates. And then as a not quite project oversight group itself, but I suppose the POG did facilitate the further contacts with the CPP. So, for example, I was invited along to present the results of our work at both the Canada Pension Plan Triennial Seminar and then separately there was also the CIA Annual Conference. So, just sort of summing up, I mean, I think the, from my perspective, the project oversight group really played a fantastic role and I very much want to thank them and Devin and also Anna as the co-chair for your roles in that. Thank you and from my perspective it was also a great experience working with you and your research team. I guess from a couple of perspectives I mean provided the oversight group the opportunity to work with researchers who have deep expertise with mortality analysis and forecasting and also what I found very interesting was the fact that you aren't based in Canada, you really provided a fresh perspective on Canadian mortality experience data. And so, for example, you know, a couple of things that stick with me in terms of providing a fresh perspective, because it's things that I hadn't thought about in the past, is first of all, looking at things from the perspective of the effect of the healthy immigration effect, which we talked to previously, and also with respect to looking at the potential trend of a slowdown in the rate of mortality improvement, mm -hmm. and again, looking at it given your experience in the UK. And for example, one interesting aspect that, again, I think fresh perspective was helpful is being very careful in terms of jumping to a conclusion with respect to how big the slowdown may be. Because mm -hmm. I believe there was one year in the data, I think it was 2011, where mortality rates were very low. And yep. the question became whether that was an inflection point in terms of the point of a potential change in the rate of mortality improvement 
or whether it was an anomaly, because when you're focusing on just one year of mortality experience, you can get anomalies in terms of experience. And how that one year is treated could have a big effect on how big the, the slowdown in mortality improvement is. So again, I think the, the fresh perspective on that particular focus of the analysis was very helpful. And so overall, it was a great experience from the oversight group's perspective, and we're hopeful that there'll be opportunities to collaborate in the future. Yep. Thank you. Sounds like collaborating added a lot of value to this project. So I really look forward to seeing other collaborative projects in the near future. Thank you both for taking the time to join us today. Uh, well, you're very welcome. I've certainly enjoyed this uh, discussion. You're very welcome. As a reminder, if you'd like to read this research paper or any other research published by the CIA, you can do so by visiting the website, cia-ica.ca, and by navigating to the Research tab at the top, then selecting Research Projects. Under the Research tab, there is also a link to share your research ideas. We love hearing from you, so please don't hesitate. If you'd like to get involved with CIA research, contributing as a member of the Project Oversight Group is a great way to get involved. These groups only exist for the duration of a research project, so you can get involved in exciting research without signing up for a longer-term volunteer position. For more information about volunteering with the CIA, please select Volunteer Center underneath the Organization tab. My name is Jill Harper, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Seeing Beyond Risk.